morning. It is uh, wonderful to be here. It's been a long time. This past year has been a year, right? It's been something. This, this mic is going to be messing with all week. All week. All right. Why not be better all week? What's that? You said all week. You preach all week. So. I want to thank you for being here today. It's been a, a joy to uh, be in, involved with Calvary Baptist for, oh man, 30 years probably. That uh, we've been involved in it on and off. And now we're involved again with uh, the uh, Olympian program. So they run that on Sunday mornings. And so be praying for their leaders. They have a great team of leaders back there. And it's been a joy to, uh, to be there and to uh, be interacting with them. I do want to call your attention before I... Uh, we get into the message today. On June 18th and 19th, um, it's a Friday night and a Saturday, uh, we're gonna be having a conference at our church called the Heart for God Conference. And uh, the speaker is a guy named Brent Aukwin from um, Lafayette, Indiana. He is um, in charge, he's on the staff of Faith, Faith Church in Lafayette. He's the president of the Faith Bible Seminary out there, and uh, he's ACBC uh, certified as a, a counselor. And I've known him since 2000, year 2000, when I started taking training out there. So there are flyers in the back there. It's $20 for the conference. It includes a box lunch on Saturday. So I'd really encourage you to try to come to that conference. The registration, you can find the registration information online at our church's website. And uh, you'll really enjoy it. I mean, he's, he's a dynamic speaker and he will challenge you with uh, the things that he's gonna present. So I wanna encourage you to be a part of that. So as John said, I've been working with Word of Life for 30 years and I cover the Long Island, Brooklyn, Staten Island, Central New Jersey. Uh, I just had a shift recently with, with some of the area that I cover. We had a new missionary join, he took part of my area. So I've been involved in that. I, I work with about 16 churches right now and always looking to expand. So uh, just be praying for us as, as, as the times get darker, it's harder for uh, to find churches that want to reach out and minister to their students because hearts are growing cold out there. If you're not out there and involved uh, with that kind of thing, you'll, you'll see it. The youth culture has changed dramatically in the past 30 years. I would never believe when I started that we'd be dealing with some of the issues that we deal with today. And uh, one of the things that I'm gonna be touching on is this whole phenomenon that's, that seems to be happening in the past uh, year, I think it's really becoming more prevalent, is uh, ex-evangelism, ex-evangelism. And uh, what that means is there are people that are, um, especially in the, in the younger ages, are defecting from the faith. They're deconstructing uh, their relationship with Christ. Uh, just recently, if you follow any kind of news in Christendom, uh, there's a singer, his name is Kevin Max, he was part of DC Talk back in the day, and uh, he's been a Christian singer, and he just recently came out and declared himself an ex-evangelical. So, uh, and he says he's been, been deconstructing his faith for the past 30 years. So, 
but just slowly people are taking steps away from their relationship with Christ, and it's it's troubling. Uh, it's really hard to uh, to wrap your mind around around the fact that people can walk away from Christ. It's really hard. So with that, let's let's pray. I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit more in my message, but let's let's pray. Father, I just count it a privilege and a joy to be able to be here uh, to share with Calvary, uh, the family here, Lord, this message. I pray, God, it would challenge our hearts, Lord, that it would uh, help us as we think about this upcoming generation, Lord, think about our own children, think about how we can best influence them and show them the way, God. Pray for the leaders here, the leadership. Pray for Pastor Chris and, and Sheila as they're away. God, I pray you refresh them. Pray for the Olympian leaders. I pray that you would just help them. Uh, and, and the Gopher Bunny leaders to uh, just be refreshed and, and to be uh, just excited about what you've laid on their hearts to uh, teach these children. I pray for each of the children that they minister to, God, that you would... Uh, just plant those seeds deeply into their hearts, Lord, that your word would be watered and it would bring fruit. And I just, uh, I thank you for this time again, in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this message, Don't Forget to Remember. And I wanna uh, just kinda read you this little intro here. In June 1812, Napoleon assembled an army of 600,000 to invade Moscow and subdue his former ally, Tsar Alexander I. As he marched into Russia, it was typhus carrying lice, not, enough so not, not enemy soldiers that began to take a toll on his forces. But despite typhus and trench fever, the weakened French army reached Moscow on September 14th, declaring victory in a largely vacated city. On the return trip, however, temperatures plummeted to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. That's negative 30 degrees Celsius. Freezing the beleaguered soldiers' lips together and killing thousands of horses. Facing such harsh con conditions with little food, as few as 10,000 men made it back from that, from 600,000 down to 10,000. Fast forward to 1941, as Hitler's army began its own June invasion of Russia, known as Operation Barbosa, Barbarossa. Believing victory would take only a few months, and despite owning several books about Napoleon, the Nazi leader sent his troops into battle, ill-prepared for an impending winter. Again, plummeting temperatures and a lack of warm coats and hats that many returned home without ears, noses, fingers, and even eyelids. That's, a, I would say, an excellent example of the saying that goes like this, those who ignore the past are destined to repeat it. And we really don't have to look any further than God's word to see this uh, truth. So God's word is full of reviews and warnings about Israel's history. And time and time again, you're going to see God telling them to, rem to remind them, uh, to remember what's happened in their past. And they, you'll see repeats of genealogies and, and trace, trace back their history. And you'll hear it over and over again. And it's for one purpose, that those who remember the past, the glories and the mistakes. 
and the failures that they had in order to learn from them so that future generations don't make the same errors. So we're going to take a little tour this morning of Israel's history in the hopes that we're going to learn from the past for our own selves and not make the same mistakes. So if you remember uh, back in Numbers 13, if you're familiar with that passage there, uh, we're not going to read it right now. We're just going to kind of summarize it for you. But the first generation was condemned to die in the wilderness because of unbelief. God had led them up to the uh, entering the promised land, and they sent 12 spies into that land to spy out the land. And if you remember, the 12 spies came back. And help me out here. Ten of them, what did they say? Remember? Don't go in. Why? They're giants, right? Giants in the land. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, don't listen to that. We can take the land. God is with us. We have, we have the victory. And who did the people believe? Did they believe the ten or did they believe the two? They believed the ten. And God uh, pronounced judgment on them because of that. And in Numbers 14, we're going to start in, uh, I'm just going to read through Numbers 14, 28 down to 35. And he says to Moses, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness and all of their number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land which I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joseph the son, uh, Josiah, uh, Joshua the son of Nun, sorry. But your little ones, who you said will become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you will bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all the wicked generation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. You think God was happy? with their unbelief. Certainly not. Four or five times he says you're going to die in the land. So can you imagine being somebody under the age of 20 going through and following, you know, going through the wilderness for 40 years and watching people die? Can you imagine what it was like when you're the last of this generation standing? And knowing that you're facing the judgment of death because you, you didn't believe God. I think it must have been an incredible, harrowing experience for them. So the last person dies in Deuteronomy. We're going to move into Deuteronomy in a minute. Deuteronomy is the account of Moses communicating God's law again to this new generation. Helping them to understand what it would take to have a relationship with Christ, with God. So we're going to flip to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And 
And if you would stand with me as I read uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. This is what the Lord's word says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the house of do them in the land in which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days might be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I, that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of Egypt. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go out after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and, be, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You may be seated. Thank you. So imagine what this was like for uh, Moses to be talking to this new generation. I kind of get the feeling that he's kind of talking as a concerned father, that he's really pleading with them to make sure that they don't make the same mistakes that their forefathers had, had made. And he says there, you know, remember, remember what God did, remember who the Lord is. And in verses uh, four and four, five, and six, uh, four and five, these are the. This is the Shema. Uh, this is the famous. Uh, every Jew knows this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. So when you see that word here, God, God is calling them to pay attention, to make sure that their hearts are attentive, that they're. They're paying full attention to what he's saying and to obey what, what's about to come later. When he says the word Israel, he's talking about these people, the Jews, that had a special relationship with God. They were his chosen people. Not because of anything they did, but because God just, just shared, just opened up his heart to them and had a special place for them. It was their identity. And the Lord, the Elohim, He's the covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. And he says there to love, to have a faithful, passionate, wholehearted love for God. One that is single-minded and single-focused. That was the number one command, right? And, and when Jesus was asked, 
What's the greatest command? Was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Those are the first, first two commands. So his command was for these, these adults, he's speaking primarily to the adults, for them to love God wholeheartedly. They needed to have that relationship with him. It wasn't about the outward appearance, you know, the, the, the things that they would wear, the things that they would do, that all of, everything that they were supposed to do, all the obedience was to be born out of their love for God. It was an evidence, not the basis for it. And so they were to meet him and, and have this relationship with him. And, you know, unless you have that relationship with Christ, you could come to church every Sunday. It means nothing unless you know Christ personally. The Lord came to die for you. He came to pay for your sins. And he offers that as a relationship. He wants that relationship with you. And if you don't know Christ, recognize that your sin is separating you from God. And it, it's keeping you from enjoying that relationship with Christ and enjoying eternity with him. And your sins separate you from God, and but his blood covers you. His blood offers you forgiveness. And he offers you a relationship with Christ. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to plead with you. I want to urge you to speak to me, speak to one of the elders in this church, one of the people in this church that know Christ, and, and learn what it means to really know God. Because that's, that's the only way you will have peace with God, is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's get back to what we were talking about here. Israel missed the point of verse 5. God said, love him with all your heart and soul and might. We had a, that love had to permeate every area of your life. It had to permeate everything. The law was to, to show them that they can't keep a relationship with Christ on their own. They needed to throw their hands up and say, God, I can't do this. Right? When you look at the Ten Commandments, I see the Ten Commandments back there in the hall. It only exposes what is wrong with our hearts, right? We only know we're, cov we're covetors, covetous, because the law tells us we're covetous, right? We wouldn't know that. We want to hurt people in our, own, in our flesh. But God says don't murder. We need God's help to overcome those things. We need His Spirit to help us to overcome those things. So instead of crying out for mercy and, and throwing up their, their hands and falling on their knees and asking God for help and keeping that law, they added additional laws and they made this the law so much bigger than what God wanted. And it became a burden to them. And it became a religion. And they said, if I do X, Y, and Z, then God will justify me. And that's not what God wants. That's the only way to have a relationship with Christ is, is through Jesus. So in Deuteronomy 6, after uh, verse 6, he goes on and he says to them to teach their children. He gave the parents the responsibility to teach their children. Born out of a love that they had in their hearts for Christ, they were to communicate 
God's love to their, to their children, to teach them diligently. In 6 and 7, it, it talks about teaching diligently, uh, to teach with much care, to teach consistently throughout the day and the night, you know, as they rise up and as they lie down. They were to teach naturally, not as a designated time, but as everything was going on in their life, to find a connection to God in their, with their lives. And they were supposed to find, supposed to teach practically where their faith and their life intersected. They were supposed to teach them what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. When I look at that, I see a relationship, right? Our, as parents, we need to have a relationship with our children. So the stronger the relationship with our children, the easier it is to communicate love and truth to them. And so the obedience to have our children obey God would flow out of a relationship that we, have, we are modeling for them. So let me ask you this question. Those of you that have children, how strong is that relationship with your children? Is it one that they recognize how much you love God and they want to have that relationship too? Or is it one that where you're, you're trying to uh, dictate them have a relationship with, having a relationship with Christ? You know, saying, you can't do that because God doesn't want you to do that. Well, it's true if they're disobeying. But the love has got to be there. They've got to understand and recognize that your love for Christ is driving what you're saying to them as parents. Parents, God put them as the primary responsibility, gave them the primary responsibility to have influence in their children's lives. But they, they forgot. These parents in Israel, they forgot. God told them, don't forget when you go into this land, I'm going to bring you this into this land that like, you did nothing to get. It's nothing that you did to earn this land. I'm sending you into this land. Verses 10 and 12, it says, when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob to give you, with the great and good cities that you did not build, your houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's the Lord God you shall fear. They were going to be blessed beyond measure when they entered this land. God told them, you're going to walk in and Everything's going to be done for you. Don't forget to remember me. Don't forget to, to keep me at, at the focus of your life. Now think about these people. They had lived as nomads, right? Traveling for 40 years in the deserts. They've watched their families drop off. They've never had permanent houses, and God is sending them into this land, and they're going to have everything that they need. They're going to have the food, they're going to have the houses, they're going to have the cisterns. They don't have to work. They have to maintain. But he's saying, don't get comfortable with what you have. 
Make sure that you are fearing me and remembering me. We are such forgetters, aren't we? We forget where the good hand of God is in our life. We just forget that all the time. But God is saying, don't forget the provision, but also don't forget the provider who's given it to you. He also, in, in Deuteronomy 7, he commands them to destroy their enemies. And he says to wipe them out. They, you gotta, they have to drive them out. And I'm not going to go through that and read that for sake of time, but you can go through and read that. But these enemies were pagan worshipers. They were idolaters. And one of the things that runs through Scripture, one thing that runs through Scripture very prominently is idolatry. God hates idolatry. And the conference that I talked about um, earlier is going to deal with the focus of our hearts being idol worship, idol worshipers, and how we need to uh, drive those those idols out of our hearts. These people that were in this land were worshipers of a god named Molech, who the way to worship him was to sacrifice your children. On an altar. They were involved in, and approved all types of sexual activity, immoral sexual activity. They had no standards of right and wrong. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do. But God tells them to go in, you know, drive out these land, drive out these people, because these people, if you don't drive them out, they're going to start influencing you. And you're going to start making compromises. So God says, as you go through all Deuteronomy, and I'm just going to sum it up here in one little sentence. God says, follow me, do what I say, and you'll have prosperity. You'll be blessed. We get to the end of Deuteronomy, and Israel says, yes, we are going to obey. Moses, we're going to follow what you say, we're going to follow God, we're going to do what he wants, and we're going to love him with all of our heart. And wouldn't you like every movie to end like that? You always like happy endings, right? And if the, move, if the, the story ended there, and we didn't have to worry about anything coming after that, that would be a great end of the story, right? But then we get to Joshua. And if you turn over to Joshua, Joshua is the story of the account of this people going into the promised land. And every time that they followed God, and did what God wanted them to say and, and um, asked God for help, they had great success. And every time they did it, they failed miserably. And God was just showing them, you've got to depend on me. Your success is not based on you or your the power of your army, it's on me. And so they follow God 
There's, there's wins and losses, but when you get to the end of Joshua, he's standing in, in uh, giving the final count, and in Joshua 23, he reviews in verses 6 through 16, you go back and read that for yourself. He, he reviews their history, and he says, you didn't follow God here, you followed God here, you didn't follow God here. And in verse 24 and 15, the famous verse, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve, serve the Lord. And the people at the end of uh, Joshua 24, they're, they're, they're saying, yes, we're going to follow God. We're, gonna, we're not going to follow after the others. We're going to follow God. We're going to follow what your word says, Joshua. Don't worry about it. You could die in peace. And Joshua dies. <coughs> And if the story ended there, you would think, wow, these people got it. This is going to be a great ending. They have a great future ahead of them. They're not going to have any problems. But then you get to Judges. If you turn over to Judges, now remember, when, when Joshua was alive, they had not finished driving out all those people. All their enemies. In Judges chapter one, uh, Judges chapter one, you'll see there's seven times where it says that the people were not obedient and driving out everybody from that land, all the enemies, and they wound up being enslaved by them in certain instances. Why disobedience, laziness? I don't know, but they they know they didn't follow God. And in Judges chapter 2, we have a short recount of, of Joshua's death, starting in verse 6. And it says, And Joshua dismissed the people. The people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders out of Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, inheritance at Timnath Herods, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain, mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And then one of the most harrowing verses for me in Scripture is this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor the work that he had done for Israel. So this is now what seems to be the third generation. Right? So the first generation that came out of Egypt died. The second generation, God, God gave them the law through Moses. They went in. They were disobedient. Right? They didn't follow, they didn't follow through. They had said they were going to follow God and obey God and teach their children. But this generation rises up. And apparently they fail to teach their children. Maybe they assume that, you know, they were doing all the, going through the motions of, what, of following God and of doing all the ordinances and everything. But they weren't. Consistent in following God. They weren't teaching their children like Deuteronomy 6 talked about. Because this whole generation grew up 
that didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done. That, that is quite an indictment. And the book of Judges, you know, you go through that and you'll see that they did not teach God's word. They were enslaved. They got into this cycle of disobedience and then being enslaved and then crying out to God. And God sent a judge and God delivered them through that judge and they followed God for a little bit. And then that judge died and they went right back into the same cycle again. It just went on and on and on. And when you get to the end of Judges, the last verse of Judges, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They weren't following God's law. They did what was right in their own eyes. Anarchy. Sound familiar? We're a generation that has disregarded God's laws. They're following after their own hearts. And what does Jeremiah say? Our hearts are desperately wicked. We need the law. We need God's word. We need a relationship with him. I've been doing some studying in our culture. And I want you to think about this. Ligonier Ministries and LifeWay Research published, published every two years of state, the state of American theology. And these are the results of 2020, so just last year. And the people that were polled agree or strongly agree with these statements. These are Christians claiming to be Christians. 53% say there is one true God in three persons. 53%. Not 100. 65% agree or strongly agree that God is perfect and can't make mistakes. Not 100. 51% say the Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. Just a little bit more than half. 38% say Jesus is the first and greatest created being. 32% say the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being. 29% agree that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. 29%. 48% agree the Bible is like all sacred writings containing helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 51% agree sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. 51% agree abortion is a sin. 25% of Americans agree that God is unconcerned with, it, with my day-to-day -day decisions. 38% agree gender identity is a matter of choice. 40% agree the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. And 54% agree with this statement. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 
let me ask you this. Have we done a good job teaching our children that this is where we are, we're at? Have we really heeded God's word completely? Have we really loved him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? If this is where we are as American Christians, I would say we have forgotten God's commands. This is why we have ex-evangelicals. Because we've done what was right in our own hearts and minds. We have not followed God's word. We haven't had pulpits filled with men who are teaching God's word clearly and living it out. We have families that take it casually. So before you know, you're looking outside, and you're, you, you hear these statistics, and you say, "That's not me." You know, like when Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee, uh, the tax collector, and the Pharisee, and the Pharisee said, "I'm glad I'm not like that man." What did the tax collector do? He fell on his knees and said, "God, be merciful to me." I want you to evaluate where is your relationship with Christ? Would you, would people say that you love him with all your heart, mind, and strength in all areas of your life? What's your relationship with God's word? Is it okay if you miss a day, a week, two weeks without reading it? Is the only food, spiritual food you get is when you come on Sunday morning? Deuteronomy 6 is, is addressed to the fathers. And, and fathers, i got to ask you, are you modeling Christ with your kids? Is your acceptance of them and love for them conditional on their performance? Do you plead for them to know Christ? Are you on your knees for them to know Christ? You know, just coming to church, as I said before, just coming to church, being involved in ministry is not enough. Children become bitter when you don't have that relationship with them. They may not even be able to communicate. But they're, they're looking at your relationship with Christ. They're seeing the externals. They're not hearing the heart. God wants you to change. Let me ask you this. Deuteronomy talked about God's command to drive out the enemies. To get rid of them. Are there enemies coming into your home that you don't even realize? Through television, through internet, through the smartphones, through the games. They're not harmless. 
they're stealth. They come in, they influence the thinking. And our children are not wise enough or discerning enough to be able to eat the meat and spit out the bones. We need to teach them. I do a lot of counseling. And one of the first questions I have when a parent comes to me and asks me, starts talking to me about where their kids are at and, and how much trouble they're having. One of the first questions is, how much time do they spend on the internet? How much time do they spend on their phones? Where is your computer? Is it in a public place in your house or is it they have their own private place in their, in their house, in, in their room without having any sort of uh, guard, safeguards on it. It's important that we are diligent in teaching our children and watching out for them. Because we're going to give account, right? As parents, we're going to give account to God. We have to be wise in what we do and how we teach our children. So as we're wrapping up here, are you willing to recognize where you have failed? Where there are, where there are places where you have missed being diligent? Where maybe your children are embittered because of your actions? where you need to ask them to forgive you? Are there areas where you have not obeyed God's commands as we've talked about this morning and you need to, to repent before God and ask him to forgive you? And then do what's necessary. God's grace is always available. I'm not here to condemn because I have three fingers pointing back at me. There are things that I have repented before God for, for how I raised my kids, things I've missed. And God's grace is always free and abundant. He can restore what the locusts have eaten. Will you humble yourself where God calls you to be humble? Will you be strong where God calls you to be strong? Will you love Him wholeheartedly? God, when we look at Israel's history, it's so easy to condemn and, and to judge them. Lord, to not see 
areas where we are blind to our own sin, where we have been unfaithful, where we have missed the mark of what you've called us to be as parents, as, as fathers, as mothers. But Lord, I just thank you that you love us enough to confront us. Lord, you desire that we would change and follow after you, God. And Lord, as long as we're breathing and as long as our children are breathing, Lord, there's still hope for change. So God, I pray that you would just give us the grace to repent, give us the grace to go and ask forgiveness of those we may have hurt, we have perhaps maybe caused them to turn away from you by our actions, God. Lord, help us have a strong and devoted and uncompromising love for you. Help us to, to love our closest neighbors, those in our family, with that love. And I thank you for your word today. I pray we leave this building changed. In Jesus' name.